On the evening of October 8, 2017, more than a dozen wildfires shot to life in the North Bay, but none of them rivaled the Tubbs Fire, which went on to become the most destructive wildfire in California's history. It sparked near Calistoga in Napa County, and within hours, jumped a six-lane highway into Sonoma County's largest city, Santa Rosa. The wildfire rained embers and terror on neighborhoods like Coffee Park and Fountain Grove. No one there had seen anything like it. In the Tubbs fire alone, 24 people died and thousands more lost their homes. So much was reduced to ash. For many people, the horror of that night has faded, but not everyone has that privilege. I've spent the last year following two couples as they grappled with the fire's fallout and tried to rebuild their lives. One couple had lived in Coffee Park for 30 years, the other for just two, but both of them lost everything. Over and over, they returned to that night. Fire is racing towards them. They're packing their cars. They only have minutes, and then they're running for their lives. I'll let them introduce themselves. I'm Henry Granger. I'm a retired Army retiree and uh, have uh, held many jobs, but uh, my main job was uh, a full career in the Army. I'm Astrid Granger. I'm Henry's wife, and we are fire victims from Santa Rosa. I'm Melissa Geisinger. I am a writer and a Coffee Park resident of two years. I'm Cole Geisinger, I'm Melissa's husband. Uh, born and raised in Sonoma County, grew up in the town of Sonoma and uh, lived in Coffee Park for two years, uh, just before the fires. Uh, I'm a web programmer, I build websites all day, that's what I do, uh, and I'm a musician. I'm Lizzie Johnson, and this is City of Ash. It was a Sunday night. I was out uh, Sunday night with a friend out at the movies in Petaluma. My uh, daughter was there. My son came from Sebastopol over and we all had dinner at my house. We got home kind of late that night, noticed the high winds going on, how kind of unusual that was as we were driving through downtown Santa Rosa. But by the time I got into Coffee Park was when I started to actually notice the smoke. And this is about um, 11. 11 p.m. So we were up late. I was still up. I was cleaning up the kitchen after dinner. And it was around midnight and I noticed it was getting really windy. It was getting really loud. And I heard other noise, un unusual noises too, but I, I didn't pick up. And then it got so windy and so uh, smoky, I knew there was a fire somewhere. I was um, in bed and, and um, just kind of browsing Facebook and I saw some live feeds that people were posting about fires in Napa and so I had that streaming when he got home and um, just kind of, you know, just watching. It's, it's not unusual around here to have fires, so we weren't, you know, alerted or, or you know, worried or anything at that point no. at all. In the back of your mind you say, now, 
what could get me if I'm living here? You, you hear of all these disasters all over the world and in the United States, fire here, flood here and all that. I said, well, what could get us? The Russian River, I said. The Russian River could overflow its banks and get up here and get us because we had seen this happen throughout the country, but nothing else, maybe an earthquake. But uh, I'd never dreamed you that know. the fire, and I was sitting in my room watching TV and turning on the radio trying to pick up what's going on. I actually called my brother in Germany and I said, something is happening. It's like a tornado outside. I don't think we, we can survive this night. Then I hung up, ran upstairs. My husband was upstairs watching TV. My daughter was there, and they were looking at the news. Where's the fire? Because it was getting so smoky. The house was starting to fill with smoke. The noise, this unusual storm. I've, I don't think we've ever experienced anything like it. And they showed pictures of, of the fire burning out near Lake Berryessa, which was a couple of valleys over on the other side of Napa. And I say, well, too bad for them. <laughs> Within hours, the Tubbs fire traveled from Calistoga to Safari West, which is six miles southwest. It's home to the 400-acre Safari West Animal Refuge. As a wall of fire pushed towards Safari West, residents in Santa Rosa realized something was wrong. Really wrong. The position of Safari West is on a ridge over from some friends of ours who live in the Shiloh Ridge area. And so we messaged them and um, I messaged them and Cole was like, oh, it's late, don't bother them, <laughs> you know. It was Sunday night. Yeah. But, you know, I was like, hey, you guys, can you see the fire and all that kind of thing? And so um, around midnight, I think we, a little after midnight, we heard back from them. And then we, we, we looked out the front window and we could see neighbors zipping by in their cars. It was thick as milk, the smoke. Couldn't even see the, the lights and they just responded with this photo of the ridge just completely engulfed the, the, their, the, the next one. Their entire over. view outside the back side of their house was just completely on fire. And that, I mean, that's, that's all they sent us was the photo, and then after that was, all right, well, I think we're going to pack up some things and leave. Yeah. Good idea to tell you to have a grab bag. I was sitting there uh, having recently listened to one of these programs on TV, and I said, yeah, I'm going to fix myself a grab bag. Then I got a text from one of the brothers from my congregation, and he said, you need to evacuate to safer areas. And then we also realized when I saw our neighbor back out, I said, we need to leave. They always tell us when, when there's a disaster, you have to leave and you have to be obedient and listen. Don't try to save your house. We said, hey guys, if you need a place to go, come to our house. So um, I think it was a, around one o'clock, um, they said, you know what, we're, we're leaving, we're evacuating. By the time they left, they said, you know, 20 minutes after they had saw the fire and decided that they were going to leave, 20 minutes later it had cleared through that entire valley and was already coming over the ridge just south of where their house was. So they came, yeah, I think it was like a little bit before 145, 
and um, you know they took both of their cars they you know came in the living room we were talking and just in talking about their experience we were like all right well just in case just in case maybe you know we'll we'll gather some things I grabbed two handbags then a little uh, cardboard thing that had all my um, certificates, my marriage certificate, birth certificate, when I became a citizen, passport. And I quickly put on my rings. And then we left. And we decided to all three take our cars. We'll put the computers in the bags. You know, we work from home, so our entire livelihoods are in our, in our laptops. They knew they needed to evacuate. But neither couple knew how dire the situation actually was. We could have saved things if we had known the house was going to be destroyed. I could have loaded up my car real quick. When we come back, they find out. It hits you so fast, you're like gasping for breath and choking. Um, so it was serious. I'm Lizzie Johnson, and this is City of Ash. As the Tubbs Fire roared across Sonoma County and into Santa Rosa in the early hours of October 9, 2017, Astrid and Henry Granger and Melissa and Cole Geisinger had decided to evacuate, but they still didn't realize the danger they were in. And uh, so we left the house. I, we still pulled the garage door down with the opener. We, I, we locked everything up. So we packed up just, you know, the, the basics. We, you know, a little at a time, we were like, oh, well, we'll move the, the dog's leashes over towards the front door, and we'll make sure that the cats are inside, and, you know, just a little bit at a time over the course of maybe 20 minutes. I actually quickly rolled up a towel and put it under my walk-in closet. I, I knew there was going to be smoke, and I thought, I don't want all my clothes to get smoky. It was almost near impossible to really see outside at all um, because the the smoke was so thick and it was just kind of twirling all around in our in the court that we lived in in Coffee Park. So yeah, um, so it was the the winds picked up. The, we started hearing the popping of, um, of transformers, uh, transformers uh, outside, and and um, and then the power went out. All the people did the same thing at the same time, got in their cars to get out. So it was, it was creeping, everybody's creeping. And I saw embers flying. And the winds really picked up to the point where it was, it was like, it sounded like a banshee, just like whistling through the Any back kind? door. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, at that, at that point we really just, we, we started really packing up kind of like mementos, you know, things that like, not just, you know, necessities like the computer, but like you, you always kind of run that, run through that scenario in your head, like, what would I grab in case of a fire? And it's like, okay, well, we might have to actually do that any minute now. As soon as we hit the, the streets, of course, it's pitch black dark, it's 2.30 in the morning. Traffic congestion everywhere. A text alert came in through Nixel that uh, the fire had reached Fountain Grove. And that was a little too close to home. And it was probably within 
two or three minutes that the next text alert came through that the fire had jumped 101 at Hopper, which is a mile from our house. So um, immediately we all jumped up. We're like, let's go. We're, we need to go. And as we turned the corner on Dogwood, right, mm -hmm. the street behind us, there was a man standing in his driveway kind of looking at this spectacle of cars. And, and another guy was just standing. They, they didn't know what, what, what are we supposed to do? Why is everybody leaving? Should we leave too, I guess? I hope they left at some point. Yeah, I'm like running, running through the house, grabbing little odds and ends. And, and um, I grabbed a, bro a bowl of fruit was like the most random thing that I grabbed. And then he sees me, he's like, why do you have a bowl of fruit? And I'm like, I don't know, I'm pregnant. I might get hungry. <laughs> clothes were an afterthought. It was like, oh, okay, I'm in my bedroom. I should probably get some clothes. I grabbed whatever was on top of my clean laundry pile. Since the power went out, we lit a whole bunch of candles all throughout the house. When that alert came in, my first instinct was, oh, we gotta blow out the candles. We, want to, we don't want to start a fire. <laughs> just, but um, but in, in making that trip out to the car with the things, it, it really hit us and shocked us how, how bad it was. And then we slowly made our way out to the more regular roads, the through roads, and they had an evacuation center at Finley so we stayed in contact with our three cars through our cell phones. Luckily, we all had cars that were, that were fully gassed up and we had our cell phones on us. So we didn't lose ourselves in all that traffic and at night. <clears throat> and then we decided not to go to Findlay. We knew that place would be crowded, probably no parking. And I had left my, my windows cracked too the night before. So. There was no like safe haven in the car. I still had all of the dust and debris and ash and everything to deal with in there. Um, it hits you so fast. There's no fresh air. You can't get a breath. You're like gasping for breath and choking. Um, so it was serious. It was like, we need to just get out of here as soon as possible. So we made our way, way almost to the airport. My husband is a member of Pacific Coast Air Museum and he knew uh, some places there where we could park and there was also a restroom there and that's where we ended up and spent the night parked in our three cars and we basically watched Santa Rosa burn that night. I drive away I call my mom and um, to give some perspective as far as the timeline goes, in between the time we got the, the alert that said that the fire had jumped 101 and the time that I called my mom was six minutes. I could see the hills, I could see big houses burned entire night. I mean, you, you, it, it never ended. The fire never ended and where our neighborhood was, of course, you don't see all of the town at night because of the buildings and trees, but it was all red and orange, and we knew, we knew Coffee Park was burning. Yeah. There were other cars in the dark that, that had done the same thing we did. They, 
drove out and waited, waited the night in their cars to see what happens. Where are you going to go when your house burns? We, ha we have, have, not had, we have a friend uh, named Ransom and he is a musician and um, he had a lot of his, his own equipment in, in our house. And so he found out about the fire and he got in his car and he drove to our house to get his equipment. So he got out there at about 3.20. He said he got stuck in gridlock a block away from our house. And at that point, people were abandoning their cars in the road. Um, I know I've heard stories from our neighbors that their only option was to literally just grab a suitcase and leave their house. And, and run. You know, in their, so he, he got out of the car and uh, ran to the house and uh, turned on the light on his cell phone, stuffed it into his pants, covered his face, and he walked into the house. And he said at that point, the backside of the house was already on fire. The morning of October 9th dawned on destruction. Thousands of homes were gone. Many people didn't make it out alive, including four in Coffee Park. The sun was a murky red smudge in the sky, and smoke filled the air. Ash was raining down on distant cities, including San Francisco, 55 miles to the south. When Melissa and Cole and Astrid and Henry went back to look at their homes, they found themselves not in the Santa Rosa they knew, but in a wasteland. You hear and you see of house fires where, you know, there's some semblance of what's left where there's walls and you can make out furniture and things like there's coming back to that and, and seeing photographs as you know and the aerial footage is what we saw first it was unbelievable yeah. unbelievable the the level of devastation when we got back the next morning these gas lines and all was still burning the heat had come across the ground at ankle level and just blasted everything away so that that very first day um, when we got in there, everything in the neighborhood is just so unrecognizable that there's, there's this odd sense of, of disconnect that I had anyways, that you know you're at your house or where your house used to be, but it's so different and everything is just gone that it just doesn't feel real you feel like you're in a different place or a different plane of existence almost we thought we could actually salvage something no everything was burned so hot i think everything just melted uh, everything's gone everything that ever meant anything to me everything's gone that's and, and it's weird now, I'm, I've accepted it. It's, it's gone, so there. I can live without it. After the Tubbs fire, Astrid and Henry moved in to their daughter's apartment in Oakland. Melissa and Cole moved in with her parents in Sebastopol. So many evacuees sought refuge there that they began calling the house a compound. It became sort of this weird um, mixture of 
um, you know, hunkering down and, and, and trying to stay safe, but trying to be positive. And we had game nights and big family style dinners. And, you know, my birthday happened in that time too. And all this, all this stuff, it just like really hit home the importance of family and coming together. It's just like when, when you lose everything and all you have is your pets and your family, it's, um, it, um, it really, it really just, it hits home. Thousands of other people are in the same spot. They still don't have a place to call home. One year later, less than 10% of the housing destroyed by the Tubbs fire has been rebuilt. Astrid and Henry decided not to do that. In the spring, they bought a small home in Windsor, which is about 10 miles northwest of Santa Rosa. After a year with her parents in Sebastopol, Melissa and Cole have just moved into a rental in Bodega Bay. That's where they plan to stay until their coffee park home is rebuilt, sometime in 2019. It will take years for Santa Rosa to regain what was lost, but the collective trauma will linger for much longer. Some things can never be regained. I'm not a very emotional person. I don't typically express myself really openly um, in that in that kind of way but um, the love was strong like there's no there's no pushing it back it's just you got to let it in because it's it's what you need to live on it's as important as air and water so um I don't know what's next. Yeah. City of Ash was written by me, Lizzie Johnson, and produced and edited by King Kaufman. For more on this story, go to sfchronicle.com slash outofthefire. Follow me on Twitter at Lizzie Johnson. That's Lizzie with an IE and Johnson with three N's at the end. Some sound effects were by Clankbeald, 7778, CMU Sound Design, and Bosk One. We used them under the Creative Commons Attributions License. The Centerpiece is a production of the San Francisco Chronicle. The editor-in-chief is Audrey Cooper. The executive producer is Fernando Diaz. Subscribe to The Centerpiece wherever you get your podcasts.